Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos-Gaspo. Well, gentlemen, we continue our previews of the Northwestern schedule. Uh, we're back in conference after our uh, little three-game non-conference dally. Uh, starting off with the team we all love to hate. This is always one of my favorite previews all season long. Nebraska Cornhuskers. Um, <laughs> Less of a preview, more of a celebration. It's true. It's true. It's a celebration. To, tends to be. So, yeah, I mean, I, where to begin? Nebraska's just been an absolute shit show ever since they joined the Big Ten. Um, defensively, they've been a joke. John... Tell me about the black shirts. Yeah, well, so it's kind of weird this year, so I'll explain. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, I don't like that. Well, so, the the whole Nebraska Cornhuskers thing, particularly, again, this black shirts, Nebraska defense, these guys have been the butt of our jokes and the Big Ten's jokes for that entire Scott Frost era. This is kind of going to be this weird I guess fascinating season because on one hand another losing season is almost certainly going to get frost canned. I don't care that Trev Alberts is the athletic director now. Like, like he just doesn't get to lose every year. That's not how it works. Um, with that said, this may be the one year where he might have a half decent defense for once. Now, let me quickly add an addendum here. Uh, to, to, to kind of stamp out what you guys were just saying. Half-decent is a relative term in Lincoln. <laughs> uh, what Frost will almost certainly have is the most talented group of defenders he's had in his tenure at Nebraska. And this talent, as always, will be running into the gaping maw that is the total lack of defensive culture at Nebraska right now. No one embodies this fact more than Ty Robinson. So Ty Robinson is quite simply the best defensive player Nebraska has had in years. This was obvious from the moment he set foot on campus, and there was never a second in our game against Nebraska last year where he did not look like a game-changer at defensive tackle for the Huskers. You want to know what Ty Robinson's stat line was for Nebraska last year? 17 tackles, 2 tackles for loss. I actually googled Ty Robinson injury just to make sure he wasn't hurt for some long stretch of last season. The bottom line basically is Robinson and his talent have arrived at a team that was incapable of getting anything out of him. Part of this is due to this continually hilarious notion that Nebraska has depth on the defensive line. At no point in the past four years has this been true. At no point. The living embodiment of this futility is Ben Still, for whom fetch will never happen, no matter how much the media wishes it to be so. And joining him is Damian Daniels, who is an absolute load at defensive tackle, best known, if you watched the Northwestern Nebraska game last year, for kind of worryingly huffing and puffing on and off the field in a way that kind of gave me pause for concern to be like, take it easy, big boy, um, during the NU game without having much of an impact during the time he was actually on the field. So all of this is a long way of saying, Big Ten teams 
immediately knew that Ty Robinson was the thing that was not like the others, and they diverted their effort accordingly. Um, at a Northwestern, an Iowa, or an Ohio State, Robinson would have been a god last year. Instead, he was at Nebraska, where the top four players in tackles for loss were non-linemen and where no defensive lineman had more than 1.5 sacks. Now, with this whole defensive line mess out of the way, Nebraska's actually pretty good in a bunch of other places. Um, And this, along with the fact that they got to play an 0-4 Penn State team and Rutgers as crossover games last year, is why they lifted themselves all the way up to the number six total defense in the Big Ten, even though they were ninth in run defense. So Nebraska has a group of linebackers, led by JoJo Doman, Luke Reimer, and Will Honus, who understand Eric Chenander's defensive scheme and are good at bringing pressure in passing situations. This is by no means a Wisconsin outfit, but it's not like a Maryland outfit either. This is a decent veteran group of linebackers. Behind them, though, things immediately get dicey again. So Nebraska's culture, or lack thereof, immediately rears its head again. Cam Taylor Britt is an all-Big Ten caliber corner. Who will not be thrown at? Because the rest of the offense, of the options for other offenses are just way too tasty. So, beacon of mediocrity, DiCaprio Boodle, was targeted plenty last year, as were Nebraska's safeties. We actually diagrammed a play on Twitter last year, after the Nebraska game, where Riley Lees was so wide open on a play-action deep route that his defender wasn't even in the same frame of the photo, um, and Ramsey just overthrew him, because that was that weird, super weird Peyton Ramsey half um, that, that kept that game close. So Boodle is gone now, but the rest of the secondary returns, which means Britt is going to keep being great, and Nebraska's going to keep getting torched in the other three spots. Still, though, this is the best unit Frost has had, without a doubt. Robinson is a bona fide star in the making, who deserves much better than the team he's on. Doman, Honus, Reimer, uh, Garrett Nelson, and Taylor Britt are decent players who blitz a lot with speed and power. When this team can find a quarterback who can't get on track, like, again, that bizarre Peyton Ramsey situation in that game, which ran against the grain of pretty much the whole rest of his season, Nebraska can find success. But remember, we were dominating this team to start that game. Every player not named Ty Robinson was getting blown off the ball on run plays, including all 330 pounds of Daniels. There's a reason Drake Anderson took one to the house from the 50 without being touched. Ohio State put 52 on this team. Illinois put 41 on this team. Nebraska continues to be a team without depth, especially up front where it counts, and without defensive culture. What they have is a bunch of seasoned starters with decent to good talent. So if Robinson can fight through the infinite amount of double teams he's going to see this year and somehow make another leap beyond that, this will easily be Frost's best defense. Whether that means it's a good defense or good enough to save his job, I'd say remains to be seen. Imagine if Cam Porter had played in the second half. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, Scuzz, offensively, I mean, Adrian Martinez has to have graduated by now, right? He's He's been there forever. Nope. 
<laughs> Run it back, boys. Um, per, I'm going to steal a line from Phil Steele, and I'm going to suggest that there could be no more perfect tagline for 2021 Nebraska football than hopefully Martinez returns to his 2018 form. Yeah. I was just thinking about the Luke McCaffrey bust that Nebraska fans were only too happy to back over Adrian Martinez. But that that bust seems to have left town. Oh, my gosh. That's weird. What happened? Yeah, straight talk express straight out of town, I guess. Um, So, yes, Martinez is back. Um, He actually didn't play too bad last year from from my perspective. When he was healthy. With with a couple caveats, right? But um, let's – Let's get into this because this is going to be fun. So two years ago when I previewed Nebraska, um, I might add amidst national media commentary that they were a national title contender, national title contender, um, I cited concerns about the loss of big-time receivers for Adrian Martinez to throw to and the offensive line's ability to protect him. Nebraska 2019 version came through in spades on my prediction. And then last year, I said wide receiver remained a big issue, especially because of J.D. Spielman's transfer. But the O-line's pass pro should be better. They were bringing back all their starters. Again, both predictions became true. Um, and like I might add, the wide receivers were even worse in 2020 than they were two years ago. And now this year, with Adrian Martinez coming back, another strong starter uh, at running back who transfers into the program, there's yet another gargantuan early departure from the wide receivers, and count them, one single upperclassman in the projected starting offensive line. So you can see that 2021 is a clear case of wash, rinse, and repeat. <laughs> I so, but, but Adrian Martinez, he's he's he can run around and do things. Indeed. Um, he's so I want to start with. <laughs> yeah, he's going to have to exactly. So I want to start at wide start out with wideout because it's such a glaring mess. So we now have a multi-year trend of the best wide receiver at Nebraska transferring out of the program. Uh, Wandale Robinson left for Kentucky after the season. And while we on this podcast have been consistently consistent about, you know, looking at COVID and the insanity of 2020 and suggesting that that makes trans like makes it truly impossible to parse transfer decisions. This is a really bad beat for Nebraska and it's bad in two ways. So first of all, Wandale was the fastest player on the team. He had close to 50 carries and 250 yards rushing the ball, caught a third of Nebraska's completed passes last year. And then second, he was a prototypical fit for the slot role in Frost's offense and a perfect complement to the mobile QBs and downhill running backs that Frost likes to start. If he couldn't make it work with Wandell Robinson, yikes. <laughs> for all that, his production, his perfect fit, Robinson only averaged nine yards per catch, down from 11.3 in 2019. In this day and age of efficient and aggressive passing offenses, that's catastrophic for your leading offensive player to be doing that. Uh, J.D. Spielman, who transferred out after 2019, averaged 19 yards per catch. But to make matters worse, you look at the rest of Nebby's wide receivers. Austin Allen, the tight end, was their second leading guy. He had the highest yards per catch at 13.1. Now, I don't want to be, you know, throwing stones in glass houses. Northwestern's yards per catch in their wide receiver core last year were not much better. But Northwestern's a team that wins with defense, not with like a pseudo offensive genius as their head coach. I, I don't I, I don't know if you caught. Nebraska's not going to be winning games with defense this year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, in that receiver core, there were a couple other single-digit reception guys with high averages, but they hardly, they hardly count. Uh, Omar Manning, the awesome ju- ju- Juco transfer, played against Northwestern but didn't record a stat and then didn't play the rest of the year. He got injured. Uh, freshman Chris Hickman was like a 6'6 guy that was maybe going to come in and do some stuff. He converted to tight end, didn't play. Their other, like, new starters last season did very little. Xavier Betts caught 12 balls for 130 yards. Levi Falk, 13 balls for 120 yards. They both they both basically had one big catch in the Penn State game and then, like, two, two to three catches in all the other games. So this is, like, this is a problem. <laughs> um, once again, they bring in some brand-new talent uh, to the Nebraska offense that I'm sure is just going to hit the ground running. Um, so Samori Tori transfers in from Montana, where he was really good. Uh, Oliver Martin is a former four-star recruit receiver who was at Michigan and then Iowa before walking on to Nebraska last year. But he only caught five passes in four games. Uh, Xavier Betts, who I mentioned earlier, he's a predicted starter. You know, I could see Manning popping up again if he's healthy. Austin Allen returns as an imposing tight end. He's probably the most impressive thing that they've got right now who's proven. Uh, the depth at tight end is really, really good. But but this is the same thing over and over again for three years running now. A brand new set of wide receivers. Some of them transfers, you know, some of them high, high-end recruits, speed guys, whatever. All trying to learn Scott Frost's really complex blocking schemes trying to catch balls from a, from a quarterback who struggles to be accurate downfield and struggles to hold onto the ball and not fumble and an offensive line that maybe can't protect for, for too long. Yeah. Buckle up Nebraska fans uh, d- digging on, on that O line specifically. So they lose quite a bit from last year's high point uh, uh, 2020. It was a huge improvement. They were way outside of the top 50 in pretty much all of the, the advanced offensive line stats in in 2019 they moved inside the top 50 in just about all those stats in 2020 their stuff rate and standard down standard down sacks were a problem some of that is certainly on the quarterbacks i mean you know taylor martinez and luke mccaffrey going for for one yard gain pretty easy to stop as long as you get a body on them now this year that offensive line three starters come back I, i guess they have better overall athleticism they have a couple of like really nice you know, highly regarded, talented players. But this doesn't change the fact that the left guard, left tackle, and right tackle are all in their second year, and none of them have really started much. So left tackle, Turner Corcoran, massive recruit, started one game last year. Um, Juergens, the center, is phenomenal, so that's going to help solidify the line, but it's really hard for me to imagine this group outperforming last year's wholesale experience playing together. I mean, all five starters were back. I think they had like 105 collective starts in the group last year, so... Yeah, maybe more athletic this year, but they don't have the chemistry. They don't have the 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 tenure of playing together, and they got a couple like three dudes that are pretty green in their experience. Um, at running back, uh, Diedrich Mills, who was really a revelation for them um, last year, is gone. Uh, they do get a really nice transfer from USC, a guy by the name of Marquis Step. However, Step, you know, had three often injured years at at USC when he could run. He looked great. Uh, but he was often injured. Remains to be seen if he'll be able to, to do much this year. They do have a bunch of, like, really solid recruits. Ramir Johnson, Marvin Scott, Gabe Irvin. A- any one of these guys could be decent. They're all, you know, decent of size and stature. Like, like they're they're going to do the, the Scott Frost thing where they've got a downhill, physical, strong running back uh, to play off of Martinez and some of these other receivers like Xavier Betts, you know, some of the the – 
um, the horizontal speed, right? Like, the, like these are the, the, the two vectors in the Scott Frost offense, if you will, and then he runs a lot of RPOs off that, right? But to do that, you need a, you need a quarterback that's, that's functioning. And this was a huge problem last year. So what's wild to me is, like, from my recollection, watching Nebraska actually play, I didn't think Martinez was that bad. He had his best completion percentage of his entire career. He was over 71%. He was far smarter as a runner, I thought, taking less hits, being way less reckless, and increasing. Uh, he increased his average yards per carry by a yard and a half. A lot of that has to do with reduced sack yardage, too. Uh, I think the sack rate for Nebraska went from um, over uh, or close to three per game um, below two per game. However, he really, again, struggled to do anything downfield, even more than earlier in his career. Only four touchdowns passing and his lowest yards per attempt of his career. A a, a statistical note here, it is exceedingly difficult to have a career high in completion percentage and a career low in yards per attempt in the same season. Uh, Honestly, much like Christian Hackenberg late in his college career at Penn State, I feel like Martinez is just scarred at this point. He's been hit so many times, injuries, the the O-line has not done a good job protecting him. Um... You know, even though last year's was better, like he clearly is not comfortable in the pocket. He also continues to fumble the ball in brutal fashion. 15 fumbles lost in his career. He's been in the top 10 in college football each, each of the last three years. He had five more in 2020 after a six his freshman year and four his, his sophomore year. And that's, and that's despite the reduced schedule and splitting time with McCaffrey, he still lost five fumbles in 2020. Now, to his credit... He was the lifeblood of the offense last year. He willed them to their two wins versus uh, versus um, with Purdue on his arm and and versus Rutgers with his legs. Both those games were on the road. Like when he plays well, he plays well. He was pretty against pretty good against Iowa and Ohio State by the stats. He looked awful at Northwestern, which was you know certainly something to do with our with our defense, and then got knocked out with injury, prompting you know McCaffrey to take over against Penn State. But then you look at McCaffrey's game log, and you, you struggle to understand why he played at all. I mean, they had another decent recruit, Logan Smothers, in the in the depth chart. He didn't even get a look. McCaffrey was pretty good overall in the Penn State game, and he torched Illinois on the legs, but also torched Illinois with his legs, but also threw three interceptions. What I will never understand is why offensive genius Scott Frost didn't use both guys together. If if Adrian Martinez needs anything. It is more weapons around him to buy him time and space to let plays develop, give him the opportunity to stretch defenses with his ability to extend the play. Unfortunately, he's entering, well, unfortunately for him, he's entering a similar situation to what he experienced the last two years. He's got some talented wideouts, but nobody with tenure in the system, nor anybody he's got chemistry with. He's got an O-line that, with brand new tackles, may struggle to protect him from the outside. And... Frankly, at this stage, the offensive coaching staff at Nebraska just seems out of their depth. I mean, maybe lightning strikes, he reverts back to his like aggressive, confident, intuitive freshman self paired with like senior smarts. They get the best out of these wideouts. The O-line plays better than its age. Or maybe more likely Nebraska could average less than 24 points again, which is going to be a recipe for a heck of a lot of losses given the state of that defense. So when we look at the Nebraska schedule, I'm sure it's a nice easy schedule that oh you know, we'll, no <laughs> we'll definitely leave them with a nice taste in their mouth at the at the end give everyone some warm fuzzies to get them oh oh wait oh wait that that, that that's not happening uh, so they open up the season at Illinois before coming home to Fordham Buffalo 
Then, assuming they haven't found a way to weasel out of it, uh, they will be traveling to Norman to take on Oklahoma. Uh, then at Michigan State, home for Northwestern under the lights, home for Michigan. Then they're at Minnesota. Then they get a bye, uh, home for Purdue, Ohio State, another bye, at Wisconsin, and home against Iowa to wrap up the season. Oh, boy. It does, um, you you can't have a much worse ending to a season than this. Um, yeah, it's it's the crazy thing is I mean Scuzz did such a good job of mapping it out, and I hope I did too. It's just the big thing with Nebraska you have to remember is like they always have talented guys. They it's not like they never have some talented. It is just there is no cohesion and no culture at this university right now. It's like and, UCLA. Yeah, it's just Ooh. like they're you're you're looking at that and then you're just asking I mean, we you know, we highlighted it on Twitter, right? Like the the only teams this past season who had more players transfer out of the program were Michigan and TCU and then schools where the coach was in his first, second, or third year, and then Nebraska. It's like they don't – it's just a swinging door here. It's a turnstile. Scuzz mapped out all these dudes that have just arrived, have no chemistry, right? Um, if, 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 and I hate to say when because I don't want to think this way, but like Martinez is going down at some point. And then they right, have I, to. I pull. didn't even talk about his proclivity to get to get banged up. Yeah, right, I mean, that's been a problem and the, all three years. And then they'll have a totally green quarterback coming in. And the idea that like against this schedule, they have to put all these pieces together. I mean, I'm like, they're like, so we haven't done Michigan yet. Michigan's got a whole bunch of their own issues, right? But let's say you're someone who you're just looking. And you're like, look, it's Michigan, like more than likely they beat Nebraska. Well, if you think this way, this team also plays Oklahoma, Northwestern, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. It's not hard to just chalk six losses up there. And, you know, I don't want to, I'm knocking wood throwing us into that group, but I'm just like, from a culture standpoint, facts are facts, folks. Um, And keep in mind, like, this is a situation where he may need a winning season to save his job. And... I'm just looking at all these games, and on one hand, you can be like, well, yeah, Illinois, Fordham, Buffalo, Michigan State, Minnesota, Purdue, and then, like, Michigan. And it's like, yeah, but they may have to win all of those games. Um, And I just don't see how this team, with this lack of cohesion, is just going to run that table. I want to really emphasize something you said, John, because last year was Scott Frost's third season. That's supposed to be the season that that comes together for a new coach. When it's mostly his guys on the team now, he's got the types of players he wants to do, what he wants to do with. And instead of it going well, not only did it go poorly, and then a lot of those guys left. And something that's interesting, an anecdote that I heard on the solid verbal from uh, Dan Rubenstein, who's who's a noted um, Oregon alum and fan, is that when Scott Frost was the QB coach at Oregon, Oregon fans generally didn't think he was very good at evaluating talent. And the anecdote is that he had to be convinced, like it was really hard to convince him that Justin Herbert was a guy that Oregon should bring in at quarterback. And what that tells me, if like 
I'm projecting here, but what that tells me based on that anecdote, the talent losses at Nebraska overall, and just the struggle to like sort everything out there is that I don't know that that staff is very good at evaluating players and figuring out what they can do, what they can do well and putting them in position for success. Yeah. They can recruit good guys. They have good play designs. You're not seeing development. Right. Yeah. You're not seeing development and you're not even seeing like the right skills in the right spot. And like the McCaffrey situation is a, is a poster child for this. Like, I mean, we knew that he was going to be an X factor for them last year. We never thought he was going to play quarterback until they said like, Oh yeah, he might play quarterback. We were like, really? Why? Like, why wouldn't you put this guy in the right. slot? Why would you not maximize like, your weapons? Right. Yeah. Like, like have, have Wandale Robinson on both sides of the field. And it just, it just makes you wonder, like they've got talent on both sides of the ball. I don't think they know what the hell to do with it. Right. Totally. It's like recruiting and it's like, it's not like they've been recruiting fantastically, but you can look at some of their guys and be like, well, this guy, Ty Robinson, again, you'd be like, that guy's a great player. It's like, yeah, but you know what? Like other teams are just going to work around him. And it's like Cam Taylor Britt is a great player. Yeah. And you know what? Other teams can just work around him. And it's like this team, like, doesn't look particularly great on either of the lines. And Scott said, like, they've got, like, a great center. And they've got to, they've got guys who were marquee recruits. And all that was good enough to get them, a, you know, like, a top 50 unit last year. And it sounds like this year might be worse than that. And it's like, I just... And then you look at this schedule, which is just... Again, I mean, on paper, it almost looks worse than it is. Because Michigan's kind of a mess right now. But they're pulling Michigan as a crossover game. Um... Ohio State as a crossover game, and they they're, have their annual cro- crossover game with Ohio State. Right, they, they, that's what they asked for. That's that's right. And then I assume they asked for this at some point too, a non-con against Oklahoma. And it's just like for a team that's trying to figure a bunch of stuff out. I mean, again, like they probably beat Illinois, and then they start three and zero, and then get Oklahoma or something. But it's like I, you know. You're going to have to be working pretty hard to talk yourself into this team, especially in the back half of their schedule when they're just getting fed into the meat grinder. So the the, the fact that we see them after five, like their bye weeks happen so late. Like if they're banged up at all, they, they're not going to have any chance to like recover as a team until like the week before Halloween. October 23rd is there. That's a late bye week. I mean, Oklahoma, Michigan State, Northwestern, Michigan, Minnesota, five weeks in a row is I mean brutal. That's brutal. And and I mean and and that's and those, that, those that's are five that, physical and that's, teams. And that's not the worst stretch of their schedule. Yeah. I mean it's well. and, and again it's like they're they are um again it's like you're 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 trying to say like I do believe defensively they've got more good guys on the team than they've had at any point in the Frost era. But that you you look at the schedule, pretty much just as a wash when you look at who they have to play. And then it's like, I mean, I, I, if Martinez gets hurt, for the love of God, like this team is just going down the toilet. Um, and even with that, I mean, I'm looking here and I'm like, I mean, six and six, but a lot has to go right for them to get to that yeah. point. A lot of cohesion that discusses point. We don't have any evidence is going to happen. Uh, and if anything, we have the evidence, the opposite will happen. I mean, I, I will probably pick Nebraska just because of the talent differential, but like 
I mean, well, they lost to Illinois last year. They got they gave up forty one points to Illinois yeah, last year. They got year. destroyed by Illinois last year. Like that's Brett Bielema's like first game coaching the Illini. Uh knowing Brett well, I don't know him, but like based on Brett Bielema's track record, I don't think Illinois is gonna be a very soft team. I think they're gonna be foaming at the mouth going into that game. And and Nebraska just strikes me as as a team that's soft and doesn't really know what it's doing um they could lose that i mean they're not gonna they're not gonna lose against buffalo or 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 fordham right um i think even losing at michigan state given the all the tribulations at that at that school is 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 a bit of a stretch but um so i i just want to bring up um only because i i feel like this is worth mentioning buffalo was six and one last year uh they yeah, yeah they, it's true they they put up a lot of points i don't think it's gonna they, happen they, they they graduated their like insane running back right yeah i they did i just want to say um that i just want to present a situation if illinois loses if, if nebraska loses to illinois beats fordham and then loses to buffalo um scott frost may not make it out of september I'm just mapping out that that's a that's a real possibility. Um, I don't think they'll lose to Buffalo. I'm saying if they do, and it's that kind of team, he there's a situation where he doesn't last the whole season. Now, again, well, pr- hey, pr- pretty pretty interesting on that front. Uh, Buffalo's head coach was Michigan's co-defensive coordinator last year, so um, like maybe they didn't play Nebraska last year, but. Um, certainly would be aware of uh, Nebraska's tendencies. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the, but again, I like realistically, I do think they're going to win a bunch of games. I mean, there are a bunch of teams trying to figure stuff out in the bottom half of this conference and Nebraska is going to be able to trade haymakers with most of those teams. Um, the top half, uh, uh-uh. but the, but the bottom half, I mean, that's where I could, I could see probably, I see probably five and seven or six and six for them. Yeah, that that seems right. I mean, they'll probably start off strong just because the the front half is is weak. But any slip ups and like the back, the end of their schedule is just so brutal. And like that's when everyone's going to be like, you're going to see three losses down the stretch. Pro Football Focus for sure thinks Nebraska's losing five of their last six games. <laughs> so. I, you know, based off I'm gonna of say it, I'm going to say it four and eight. Yeah, I, I love it. I love I'm not, it. I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, nope. I think and and four and eight would probably be about the time that that uh, Trev Alberts would be like uh, the the ship has probably sailed and it's time oh, to, to oh, bring, yeah. me in, bring me in my own guy. Oh, yeah. Well, I, were, they weren't. Did they play together? Mm, no, I think Alberts was before. Alberts was earlier, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah OK. That's what that's what I assumed. Um, what what would be enough to save his job? Would six and six be enough to keep him around? I bet it. I don't would. know. Like depends depends how that six and six goes, right? Yeah. Like like who does he beat and who does he mess up against? Does he get lucky? I mean, like look at look at the like their win against Penn State last year. They had no business winning that game. They got they they got a they got a strip sack, um, off of. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting Penn State's QB right now, but um, they got a strip stack to go up and like another big play or something, and and but like Penn State came roaring back 
one play doesn't happen and that doesn't that flip like flip that script in their one and seven last year instead of two and six. I feel like Oklahoma, Northwestern, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa, if they win any of those games, it's because Adrian Martinez plays out of his mind and just and just carries the team on his back. And he's capable of doing that every now and then. I feel like the conference is way more familiar with Taylor Martinez and his tendencies now, though. And to Scuzz's point, uh, a guy, Adrian Martinez, and a guy becomes, um, and to to Scuzz's point about the fumbles, a guy becomes known for constantly coughing the ball up and teams start targeting that. Oh, yeah. Oh, and they're already targeting him. Right. So it's, I mean, I, I, it just, it's a team with some some real stars in recruiting at various random positions that does not cohese, co, cohese, co, what's the word I'm looking for? Cohere um, into a, like a, a, a solid unit. I just don't see it. So I'll, I'll say five and seven, but I'll buy Scuzz's four and eight. Yeah, I, I think I'm right there too. Um, at five and seven, does Frost stick around oh god i don't know depends if he beats oklahoma or yeah. Ohio state right, right. yeah which, which he won't yeah but anyway um so i i think we can go ahead and uh leave our annual beat up on nebraska session uh to the side i'm sure we'll be able to beat up on them plenty more as we uh as we move forward but uh I think we'll if, go ahead and- if if and if and when we have a season where we can't we're gonna have to figure out some sort of gimmick where uh we we cry into our beer for this whole episode or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, and again, it's gonna, it, re- it's gonna be real sad when we can't do that anymore. And you all know that, like for whatever reason, we've played Nebraska close over the years. But oh yeah, I I just Northwestern is knee deep in culture right now, and Nebraska ain't, and that yeah. means something big time. Well, I I think like it's it's it goes without saying like all the commentary on this patent podcast notwithstanding, like it's. Northwestern Nebraska is probably going to be one score affair again. Um, in part, it always is North, North. Yeah. And that's how Northwestern likes to win games. You know, um, the other wild card being the Northwestern quarterback situation. But like, like you said, John, like the, like you look at the cultures, you look at the trends, you look at the track records and it's very clear that these two programs are on different playing fields right now. Uh, so let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlaw Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazbar and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.